We have Lightning, and Lightning is Bitcoin, and Lightning does millions of transactions per second instantaneously with finality of settlement. They're irreversible, there's no mining, there's no blockchain, and if this sounds like magic, it absolutely is. So it obliterates the use case of every shitcoin in the world, and it actually kind of obliterates the legacy financial rails as well, you know, at the speed of, dare I say, lightning. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. And this show is brought to you by BlockFi. And you can now earn a $250 bonus in Bitcoin when you sign up with BlockFi, as they have recently launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa signature card. Now, for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card is the easiest way for you to earn Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every card purchase and there is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats with Bitcoin rewards on every purchase. You can also earn 2% in Bitcoin on every purchase over $50,000 of annual spend and you can also get 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership. But please do make sure you check out the terms for this. Now, if you're interested in finding out more, then please head over to blockfi.com forward slash Peter, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com forward slash P-E-T-E-R. And next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, and I have been a Ledger customer since way back in early 2017. And the Nano S I bought back then, yep, I'm still using that bad boy now. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up today, we have Gemini who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying. I have not sold a single sat through Gemini because we are in a bull market. And you know what? I just don't want to sell my Bitcoin. I'm a hodler. You're a hodler, right? Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have Compass Mining. And you know what? They are not just a sponsor. I am also a customer of theirs, and I am now mining Bitcoin. And you know what? I've been mining for three months now. I've already paid off one of my S19s, and I'm close to paying off the second one. It is so good to be back mining. And you know what? I just really love these guys. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded, and now anyone can mine Bitcoin with Compass. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they will do everything else for you. If you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-G dot I-O. These yeah, ones yeah. already Hey, P, am I, not, am I not supposed to mention that rash thing you were telling me about? No, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. No, no, uh, look, bad. look, look. You can I, get, mention, I get to edit. You can you can mention the rash on my For left. For fuck's sake, my son's at the door. Hold on. But not the rash on my right. We talked about this beforehand, Huddle. <laughs> 
Peter does this all the time. He'll just get up in the middle of a podcast and be like, I'm going to go do some things right now. I'll be right back. Amazing. <laughs> it was a great, it was a great, it was a great accent, by the way. He's such a lazy, he's such a terrible podcast host. So just get, he'll get up in the up. middle of his own show all the time. I had a gun at my son, I had my son in the door. You tell him, you tell him, Peter. I felt this so bad, a- by the way, that on our, on our text thread, uh, I may have been slightly inebriated and, uh, you somebody said like it, I think it was Hoddle. You were like, "Oh hey, uh, can P join this uh, this random event?" And I was like, "Get fucked!" And that was the first thing. That was my first actual interaction with you, Peter, over text. <laughs> was it? So I apologize. Don't worry about it. So uh, you, sorry. You're, wait a minute. Just to be clear, you're apologizing to me for telling for me telling you to get fucked. No, I'm basically apologizing for like half paying attention to that and then like planning my notes for this and assuming that I'd done something wrong. No, you did everything right. Uh, well, good to have you here, P. You too, man. Good to you have too. you here, D. Yeah, totally. Good to have you here, H. We're all going by one letter today. Oh, shit, I can't be P either. There's two P. P's. So, yeah. uh, P, P, you missed it. We were talking about uh, the bet Hoddle and I have, betting two. We had a bet a year ago on uh, the US election. I went for Biden. He went for Trump. I won half a Bitcoin. And then we had another bet where wait, under over wait, 300K. Wait. What didn't you lose your private keys on that bet? <laughs> nah, not exactly. Kind of. I mean, I just yeah. Okay, look, let's not talk about that again. He only he uh, only got the money out of the goodness of my heart because exactly. I kept my key set, you know. Exactly. And then I was able to sign with Phil Geiger. You need you need like a little medal. Well, this second bet, <laughs> the second bet, I'm only going to get out of the goodness of your heart because we haven't even set it up. You just like owe me. Wait for what? This the one. second bet. Oh yeah, yeah we were gonna. Over. weren't we gonna do? We were gonna do like a DLC or something, and then yeah, we didn't end up. We were all. Everyone was too lazy. I think the shirt bits guys were too lazy too. I think everyone was just too lazy to do it. So we just, this one's on. This is yeah. This one's on faith. So what I'm gonna system. what I'm gonna do with the uh, all this money I've won off you over the last two years, I'm I'm using it to buy Bedford Football Club. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I know, you, and then you'll slowly go bankrupt trying to make it an actual, you know, profitable football club. Dude, you wait. So that'll be nice to watch. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm ten. Would you, say, would you tell me before the show, nine promotions? Well, no to promotions the to the Premier League. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, you can do that. You only need what do you need? Like three, four hundred million dollars to make a run at that? No, no, maybe a no, billion, no. even billion. Call it a billion. Fifty yeah. million. Fifty million. <laughs> yeah, fifty million. Two five X's in the next eight seasons. That's, that gives me don't a. Don't the premier uh, clubs? Don't they spend fifty million on one player for one season? Yeah, but we're. I'm in like the Spartan South Midlands Division One. <laughs> I felt extreme jealousy. Had to get myself some sunglasses. D plus plus. It's leather jackets versus sunglasses. That's right. So listen, we should uh, we should welcome our guest D plus plus. Lovely to see you. Uh, we've hung out a few times in the last year. Got to hang out and meet you, and we've talked about getting you on the show, so welcome. Glad to finally get you on. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I got up early for this show, Peter. I'm happy to be here. You look amazing. You're the most glamorous guest we've ever had, so thank you for coming on. Uh, P, nice to see you, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, my, I'm in the process of moving, so my walls may look Spartan because they are, but I'm super excited to be here. Amazing to have you. Hodo, good to see you again, man. It's been ages. Thought we'd lost good you. Good to see you. Fuck you. I don't want to pay you. I'm not going to eat my dick. You English fuck. You're going to pay me. I can shoot a gun now, remember? (laughs) 
not very well. I had to yell. Peter, we gave Peter an AR-15, and uh, I had to yell at him while he was shooting it because he was so nervous. He was like this. He was like, uh, and I was like, I was like, breathe, breathe. And I, I remembered that we didn't give him basically any instruction before we put this firearm in his hands. And then I was like, okay, this, I should have given him the lesson on, you know, breathe out while you're pulling the trigger. Like, I didn't do any of that. I was just like, here's a gun. You go use it, you know? Blow that sounds like a blow responsible. Up some tamarite. Was it tamarite? <laughs> What's it tannerite. Tannerite. Blow up that tannerite. And uh yeah, sixteenth shot, I fucking did it. Yeah, the guy the guy at the gun shop was like, Don't you don't you blow up more than like four pounds of this stuff? And I think we blew up like fifty pounds of it <laughs> at once. <laughs> you were like, Okay, I understand. Disagree. Disagree. Yeah. Disagree, yeah. Agree to disagree. Uh we're gonna do 10x what you just said. Yeah. We had some now, fun. You, it was you guys trip. don't want to go sh- you, you don't want to go shooting with Peter because uh, after he hit the tan no, right sh- on his you're not allowed 15th, to tell this. You're not 15th or 16th shot, he uh, fired the gun straight up in the air. Pow, 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 like he was in a fucking Western movie or something. And we were like, Pete, what are you doing? What are you doing? Bullets come <laughs> back down, Pete. They come. I was, I was meant to scared tell for my life. That was meant to yeah. be our secret. Luckily, the earth, you know, it's got a curve and it rotates. So I don't think we were going to get hit, but you know. We could have. Somebody else would, but I'm sure they they deserved it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, good to see you all. I don't know who's suggesting. Was this Ben's suggestion or was this your suggestion, Hoddle? Uh, Ben's. This is Ben's suggestion. Right. Well, listen, P, D, great to have you both on the show. want to hear all about PlebNet. But before we get into that, I I have, uh, I've got like some very important business to cover first. So... Uh, I've been debating it here as well. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh, man. <laughs> no. No. This is a deep question, Peter. It is. I would argue that a hot dog is neither a sandwich nor a taco, which is, of course, the only other option. I would argue a hot dog is a stroke of genius created by a madman to give us all something we never knew we always wanted. I think it's his own category. Sounds like some fiat food. Yeah. It's a hot dog. You know? One of my favorite stories about hot dogs is, uh, was it the CEO of Costco who, or one of the, one of the founders in a, a meeting, because Costco has like, you know, a $1.50 hot dog and they've had one for years. And somebody suggested that they increase the price and the person in question responded that they would kill the person if they, uh, if they tried to increase the price. That's brutal. No, you know, um, Peter once told me that he was on a uh, paleocentric diet. And I said, what the fuck is that? And he goes, oh, I just, you know, it's easy. I only eat foods that are shaped like penises. So sausage, <laughs> hot dog, popsicles, cucumbers, you know, carrots, stuff like that. And I was like, that's interesting. You know, like, has it been working for you? And he's, he goes, oh, yeah, man, I've lost like 40 stone or whatever English measurement he gave me. So uh, I'm, I'm happy for you, man. And uh, we're, all, we're all rooting for you. So good job. You, you know it's full of shit. Getting healthy. I've always been a... F- I've always been a fat Being fuck. Being fit is very important. Your uh, your hot dogs suck, by the way, compared to ours. UK hot dogs are a lot Wait, better. What you got? What are you claiming English hot dog supremacy right now? That's a weird yeah. claim. No, he's no, right. Because we we use we use the right part of the pig. Which part? You just use like the offcuts, like the brain and the, the trimmings. Yeah, it's all the, the, yeah, mm-hmm. it's the fucking gross shit. No, we use the stuff that you you actually feed humans. Yeah, the scrotum. <laughs> Fuck off. Oh my God, what a waste of time. We're here to talk about stuff. If you want to learn about Bitcoin, D++, you can bring this back for us. Tell me about PlebNet. Yeah, totally. 
So, uh, Peter, you were there. I don't know if you remember the day that I got lightning pilled. I do. I got lightning pilled by the god of lightning himself, JC Crown. You were in the room, and I showed you how to use the LNTX bot, which is a custodial wallet for lightning in Telegram. And me and Jimmy Song and a bunch of folks sent you sats that day. So I don't know if you remember, but it was a magical day. After that, I, I built a lightning day. node. Yeah, it was so fun. Um, I built a lightning node and I started a group on Telegram for some folks who were doing the same in early May. So Aaron, who runs Darth Node, had this brilliant idea to graph all of our Lightning Node connections, and that's really what made PlebNet take off. So the early graph was just me and Raj Winder, who has been instrumental also in PlebNet. He's the one who gave us our name. And since then, we've grown to over 5,000 users and well over 1,100 nodes. And those nodes and their connections now represent a third of all of the liquidity in the entire Lightning Network. Wow. So we are the fastest growing community in Lightning, and we are taking over the world with love and friendship. That was that's amazing. I didn't realize that was the day you got Lightning Build. You saw it happen. I've been in Bitcoin since 2013, but yeah. like so many folks, I had never used Lightning until this year. Because I uh, I first met you in, in Clubhouse. I kept mm. seeing you in there talking shit to people in the most polite way possible uh, <laughs> and uh, talking a lot about the technical items. So I just assumed like Lightning was something you'd been you know, using and part of for a long time. I didn't realize that was the day you got Lightning pilled. But I remember the Telegram app. Yeah, totally. Fiat Joff is a Lightning wizard. He created the LNTX bot. That was the day that you and I met. And yeah, I've been in Bitcoin for a long time, but like so many people, I've been on the sidelines of Lightning for whatever reason. And it's really important that people actually use it. So as you know, I have a running offer that if anyone wants to receive their first Lightning payment, just download Blue Wallet and send me an invoice and I pay all of them. And it is magical. Yeah, it really is. It's pretty cool how it works, actually. Uh, and uh, but that's pretty cool. You got up to five thousand people already. Uh, are you um, adminning the group? Is somebody helping you admin the group? How does it work? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, there's a bunch of us. Obviously, P has been instrumental. He created our wiki, which has onboarded so many folks to this group. And there's a bunch of us that run the group. And, and no, should, no, no. Just put it in to... now. <laughs> I was going to say no thanks to American Hoddle, who has not been contributing. Fuck that guy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's no, this is true. I was there on, uh, it, Plebnet started in a clubhouse room that I was in, and they were like, Hoddle, we have this amazing idea, man. We're going to fucking connect all the nodes and have a community for Lightning. It's going to be called Plebnet. You want you want in on this? And I was like, uh, yeah, no, nah, nah, not really. <laughs> I'm going to go back to playing Xbox or whatever I was doing before this. Thanks. <laughs> So you know, Hoddle, you know, it's it's not too late. It's not too late. Yeah, I, I'm gonna admit right now to being a really bad uh lightning bitcoiner. I'm a bad lightning bitcoiner. Every time I spin There's up no a lightning node, I, like I did Pierre Rochard's node launcher, I did the Casa node. What else did I do? I did uh Zap, uh, Jack Mahler's project before it was strike. And uh I just spin up the node and then I go, now what do I do? You know? <laughs> so that's that's been my thing every time. I think that's that's such a great point, though, right? And you know, I would say there's about 15 to 20 people who really were foundational in the creation of Plebnet. Um, my experience was similar to yours originally, where basically I was like, yeah, like you know, obviously Bitcoin, it's great, and then I didn't really have a reason to 
dive in and start playing around with running my own node until, you know, Rushwinder and D++ and, you know, JC were like, hey, like, this is so much fun. And I basically was was sort of in like FOMO'd into this community around lightning. And then, you know, I got involved, more and more people got involved. I started like, you know, on on Clubhouse and and on Twitter, like blasting out, like everybody should be in this, this, this Plebnet thing. And it was the community that really pulled me in. And so um one, Hoddle, you're not a member of the community yet, and you should be. And two, I think that it's an interesting uh, it, it kind of brings up an interesting point, which is that the having that group of people that you can communicate with, uh, laugh with, you know, send inappropriate memes to constantly until they tell you to stop, they beg you to stop, you won't stop because you know you can't, and you're just you're doing your own thing. Um, that's really important, and that kind of is one of the things that drove and has and continues to drive the success of Plebnet is that we're all these um, these you know slightly insane individuals who are deeply passionate about this thing and making it fun and interesting and compelling. B, how do we get people on Plebnet? If they're listening now, where do they go? They can go, there, there's, two, um, there's two different URLs. One is plebnet.org, which uh-huh. is the you know, more acceptable one. And then the other one is kycjelly.com. Why have you got two? And Yeah, it's a great question. So there is this interesting experience that I had, which is we're all very, many of us are very privacy focused. We try to have good OPSEC, you know, when, uh, whenever people would come into clubhouse rooms and say, you know, oh, I only have this many Bitcoin, you know, everybody on stage would scream at them and be like, don't say a number, never say a number. And then when we got involved with lightning, when you run a Lightning node, if it is a public node, right? So many people run Lightning nodes, but they never uh, associate their identity with that node directly. Whereas in Plebnet, as D++ mentioned, um, we we use a um, um, an app called Cheese Robot, which basically lets you link your node to your identity in Telegram. And then you can see this magical graph that has hundreds and hundreds of nodes, and you can see how everybody is connected. And in doing that, you're basically doxing yourself, or at least you're associating your Telegram identity with your node. And in the Lightning Network, you can see the total liquidity that is available on your Bitcoin, on your Lightning node. And so we called it KYC Jelly because we were like, yeah, you got to grease yourself up and uh, you know give this, it's not actually KYC, but it's like your, your identity and you're associating it with how much Bitcoin you have on your Lightning node or how much liquidity you have available. So we thought it was funny to call it KYC jelly because you know you got to use the lube and then uh, you know take it in order to to join Plebnet. No, I um I think it's interesting. I think it's okay. interesting P because like there is that like privacy trade off there, and that's like a little bit anathema um, to like you know I guess early Bitcoin culture or whatever. But then there's also always been this problem of like how do you get people to run nodes? And so like the community focused like node effort is like. I don't know. I think it's something you guys cracked and it's really it's really interesting to me like because the growth in the plebnet nodes is is crazy. Like uh 5000 doesn't seem like a lot but this just started like 8 months ago or something, you know. So it's been nuts. See, I think I think the node thing's a good point. I want to talk about that because I've never used a lightning node. I have one in my umbral. Like uh I've got like four nodes now. Uh but I never You don't I've use never... a regular node either. 
do you? Not really, no. I mean, I, I have and I had, but then my problem is, is I'm uh, I use cars for my for my uh, storage, and that's like everything's just in there. So I just send straight to that, and I know I should send to a node first, and then to Casa, yada yada. But I don't. I mean, not necessarily. Not necessarily. I think I mean Casa is a great option for securing your you know your entire stack. I, I view running a Lightning node as being something that you kind of play around with, but you know I wouldn't advise people to have like a massive amount of liquidity. On their personal, on their on their sort of having fun lightning node. But if people aren't running lightning nodes, then we don't have liquidity, right? So there's like even more of a requirement to have this than maybe you know running a yeah base chain node. What I would say is I def like no one should have their their uh, you know their like deep hodl stack on their their lightning node. In my opinion, because the the lightning network is very robust, but it's definitely something that um, that requires your you know your node to be online at all times, and you you know you there, you can't have like a multi sig light well lightning each lightning channel is a multi sig uh, you know setup, but you, you can't basically secure your Bitcoin in the same way that you would want to for your you know your long term uh, you know. Deep storage. So I, I think I think I think of them as totally separate things. And basically, the uh, one's Lightning node, one's Umbral should have a, a much smaller amount of uh, of Bitcoin liquidity or you know Bitcoin on it in order to play around and, and learn this stuff and and support the network. D, you mentioned uh, Blue Wallet, right? I've used Blue Wallet now for a couple of years, about three years. Um, I think it's a great wallet. Um, but as as far as I'm concerned, I don't need to connect that to a, a Lightning node, or can I? Is it too complicated? Because everything I've ever wanted out of Blue Wallet in terms of Lightning payments works. It just works for me. Um, I, you know, I don't have failed transactions. I've used it hundreds of times when I've been in El Salvador, and I've never had a single issue. Like, but what am I? If, if I want to be a good Bitcoiner, like, what should I be doing differently? Yeah, you just read my mind because I did want to make that distinction that you absolutely do not have to be a Lightning node operator to enjoy Lightning. And custodial wallets such as Wallet of Satoshi and Blue Wallet are going to meet the needs of most people just fine. In fact, I love Blue Wallet myself. Now, I use Blue Wallet as a custodial user, meaning I'm trusting my Satoshis with a custodian. And I also use it as a self-sovereign node operator, whereby I have connected my Blue Wallet to my node. So I do both. Yeah, see, I'm this, I'm kind I'm kind of like Pete. Like when I'm gonna use a hot wallet, right? Like I have no problem using Cash App as my hot wallet, and the same thing with Wallet of Satoshi. Like when I'm gonna use Lightning payments, I have no problem doing Lightning payments in a custodial fashion because it's just easy, right? And it's like um, I don't know. I guess this makes me a bad Bitcoin or something, but I will admit to using Wallet of Satoshi <laughs> frequently when I do Lightning stuff. I don't think that makes you a bad Bitcoiner. Yeah, if I also everyone don't had spend Bitcoin, much. right? So it's like I rarely well, spend yeah, it. You, that's not true. You spend it with me at least once a year. <laughs> Zing. And piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> on chain is good enough for that use case. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're using smaller. We're using smaller amounts in our custodial wallets, and uh, those work just fine. You know, those are just like money in our pocket. Obviously, it's not our savings account or our life savings, and I'm a big fan of that. Well, you say that when I I put four hundred dollars in my Lightning wallet, my Blue wallet, about I don't know when it was, 
two years ago, wherever. And then at some point, like it went up to like $4,000. And, you know, if I'm not spending that, you know, if I'm only, say I spend another $1,000 of that over the next four years, that could suddenly become $40,000. Yeah. But I got to that point on the blue wall, I was like, fuck, I need to withdraw this and I don't know how to withdraw it. I can help you with that, Peter. And there's some folks who feel comfortable keeping 4K in their pocket. And there's some folks who feel comfortable keeping 40 bucks in their pocket. Everyone's different. But probably not forty thousand dollars. Yeah, I don't no think one should 000. have forty thousand dollars in their pocket. But but one of the cool things it it was like a real kind of like a highlighted cool thing about Bitcoin is that like my Lightning wallet is appreciating in value quicker than I can spend it. Totally. So the way that you swap off chain, which is Lightning, onto on chain, which is the Bitcoin blockchain, it's called a submarine swap. It gets a little complicated, but if you want a little hack, Peter, for something that's really fun, yep. it's what I call a ghetto submarine swap. You can use Jack Mahler's app, Strike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do want to make something clear, which is, you know, to what D++ was saying. When people hear about the Lightning Network, right? And just to give a brief overview, and I know you talk about this a lot on, on what Bitcoin did, but, you know, we have the layer one, we have layer one Bitcoin, we have on-chain transactions. And the Lightning Network is built on top of the Bitcoin on-chain network. And it basically allows us to send payments uh, essentially instantly for essentially zero fees. And that's huge, right? Um, people, you know, used to love to say like, oh, you can't buy a coffee with Bitcoin, which is bullshit. But, um, you know, there will be a time in the future where on-chain fees, which are currently very, very low, uh, increase because, you know, it's just, it's just very likely. And the Lightning Network allows us to use and leverage the incredible security of Bitcoin layer one, which is just straight on-chain Bitcoin transactions, but to be able to do it in a way that is, as I said, essentially instantaneous and also very, very low fee. And there are multiple types of Lightning users, right? You can be a person who is sending you know, Twitter tips via Strike or paying for your coffee instantaneously or making small bets with your friends or you know, paying a merchant. Uh, and all you have to do in order to participate in that is literally go download a wallet like Blue Wallet, or my personal preference is, uh, is Moon Wallet, that's M-U-U-N, which is just has a beautiful UX. But you can basically download one of those wallets and then immediately be interacting with the Lightning Network as a user, and you don't have to understand any of the rest of the stuff we're talking about. Then there's like merchants who are basically interested in selling goods and services using the Lightning Network. And there are, you know, previously you had to be running a, you know, a service like... Um, like a BTC Pay Server, which uh, is an incredible piece of software. Um, and that's sort of one use case. And then you can be sort of like the totally insane, uh, you know, bleeding edge people like, you know, D++ and the rest of PlebNet and, and I, who are basically like, not only do we want to interact with Lightning, we want to be like down there in the trenches. Like we want to lose some money sometimes because we open and close channels too often or whatever it is. And that's basically, that's super fun for us. I, I, you know, I manage my node pretty actively, which is to say I'm going in, I'm, uh, I'm sort of balancing the liquidity across my lightning channels and stuff. And that's fun for me. It's like a real-time strategy game. Uh, you know, you, you, you set fees and all this other stuff, but as a, as a user of the lightning network, you do not have to know any of that stuff or even care about it, you know? Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that we're kind of explaining sort of what Lightning is that's important. Lightning is a layer two payment protocol network that runs on top of Bitcoin. And you may have heard of people say that 
Bitcoin is old or outdated or slow or expensive, which of course is ridiculous. It's ridiculous because we have Lightning and Lightning is Bitcoin and Lightning does millions of transactions per second instantaneously with finality of settlement. They're irreversible. There's no mining. There's no blockchain. And if this sounds like magic, it absolutely is. And it works and it's rock solid. So it obliterates the use case of every shitcoin in the world. And it actually kind of obliterates the legacy financial rails as well, Um, you know, at the speed of, dare I say, lightning. And P is absolutely right. It's super fun to run your own node and to develop these strategies for routing. But you absolutely do not have to to be a Lightning user. We talked about Wallet of Satoshi. We talked about Blue Wallet. Another great Lightning wallet is Breeze, which has a really great point of sale for any merchants who want to get started with Lightning very easily. See, this is cool. Uh, like, hold on, let me throw this over to you because um, I've been ra- I've been ragging on the Ethereum crowd a little bit this week for a couple of reasons. My brother dug out an old tweet by Vitalik. He sent me it from four years ago. He was saying, you know, whatever, we're half a trillion market cap. That's all good, but how many of the unbanked have we banked now? And he was like, well, you know, you're going to struggle to bank people with the gas fees as they are. And then uh, I saw a uh, article on Vice today about that uh, a DAO they tried to raise. You know, the DAO that. Uh, they wanted mm-hmm. to buy was it the constitution they wanted to buy yeah and like like in every per basically they lost half of the money they raised in fees because they had to buy this and send it to here, here to transfer it to this and some bullshit but like somebody transferred like started with $200 and they ended up putting like $75 into the DAO because of the fees you know as all these people were like claiming Bitcoin a couple of years ago was too expensive at $50 on-chain fees which was a very small window where that actually happened but but they're actually full of shit because you can now bank the unbanked with Bitcoin. You can you can you can uh, bank them with uh, the Lightning Network. You can have people not only on the base chain but also doing these transactions at close to zero cost. And as D plus plus said, with uh, instant finality. So I think that's a really good point you've made, uh, D plus plus. You've completely destroyed the use case of all these shit coins who've been ragging on Bitcoin for being slow and being boomer coin. Totally, and they have they have they have a. Uh you know, nothing really to grasp at. And so they're trying to come up with new ideas. So if you run out of ideas, Peter, do a DAO. <laughs> do a DAO. Well, well. so their arguments, like the other people jumping in, are like, yeah, because Ethereum's like slow and bullshit. Now you should be on Solana, which is basically something that's even more centralized than Ethereum and even more bullshit. So it's like, See, what is it, I, four, four I years' say- time? Uh, well, we're going to get in four years' time, somebody's going to be even more centralized than Solana. Yes. It's just going to be a, yes. a single Oracle yeah. database. Yes. Yes, There's, I mean, that's li- how they listen, fix it. If if the regulators are going to allow DeFi to continue, and it seems like they might, right? Um, there's even talk about Silicon Valley is out there, you know, not real. The A16Z crowd is out there uh, lobbying for their own regulatory agency, right? So if they get that and they and they allow this DeFi thing to continue, there's no reason to pretend to be decentralized, right? The only reason that you they were pretending to be decentralized in the beginning was regulatory arbitrage so that they could get around the laws, right? And if you don't have to get around the laws, well, speed and, like, most things are better centralized. Most things. It just turns out money is not one of those things that's better centralized. In fact, it's much worse centralized, right? And so, by the way, there's another quote from Vitalik where he says, the internet of money shouldn't cost five cents a transaction. It's ridiculous that Bitcoin costs five cents a transaction. What's your average gas fee, Vitalik? 500 fucking dollars or something like that? I mean, come on. Like, are you kidding me? I, I 
somebody told me this expression about Vitalik that they they think Vitalik is slow rugging, right? Like that he knew it was <laughs> bullshit from the beginning, and he's been slowly rugging the entire time ever since. And I think that's one hundred percent accurate. Like well, that's you, what you is going on. Remember that thing uh, that into that I don't know it was like panel he did with Joe Lubin, where they said, "Yeah, we always knew this wouldn't work. That's why ETH two matters." Yeah, exactly. They knew. They knew from the beginning. It never made sense. And ETH two is ETH two is vaporware. You know what I mean? You know, something I want to ask about getting back to the lightning thing though is like, okay, so I'm hearing a lot of people talk about earning yield uh, on their lightning nodes, right? And, but the thing that's confusing to me, because that's a really cool, sexy idea that I can stake my Bitcoin, I can have some degree of technical skill, I can route payments, and then I can earn yield on those payments, right? It's an even cooler idea when I think I can just outsource it to somebody like uh, D++ or P who knows what the fuck they're doing, and I'll just give them my Bitcoin, they can take an operational fee, and then we can all make money on our Bitcoin in, in a safe way, a, a way that's safer than BlockFi, where we're not rehypothecating, and et cetera, et cetera, Right. But when I talk to Lightning operators who are doing this kind of thing, it runs the gamut from somebody like an Alex Bosworth who's, you know, making a good deal of money to somebody who's losing money on their Lightning node. And what I'm curious is why that delta exists and then how people can be more proficient, like operators, and get the technical skill set to, to do things correctly. And, like, will that professionalize over time? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think— the expectation that people should have if they are you know, running a lightning node is that they are not going to make any money in the short term. Um, transaction fees, basically the way it works is like if the four of us have just have a, uh, each have lightning nodes um, and I have a channel, which is basically a two of two multi-sig uh, contract with uh, D++ and D++ has a channel with you hodl and then hodl you have a channel with peter's node right um and just to be clear this is not doesn't have to be like a raspi 4 um you can run what are called neutrino nodes which are sort of a type of prune node on your phone today using something like breeze wallet which you can download for ios or android um but what happens is I do not, the way the Lightning Network works, it's like a spider web. You do not have to have a direct connection to anyone that you're sending payments to. Instead, I can say, uh, I want to send a payment to Peter because I made a bet about you know which hot dog was better and he won the bet. And so uh, I basically can bounce a payment through D++'s node, through your node hodl, and then directly to Peter. And what happens is for that service, um, each of the nodes in that chain charge a uh, a fee, essentially. And right now, those fees are very low. And the beauty of the Lightning Network, honestly, one of the most compelling things about Bitcoin in general to me is the incentives. Uh, I love that the incentives for success as an individual are aligned with the incentives for the success of Bitcoin as a whole and the entire network. And the Lightning Network is kind of a microcosm of that. The same incentives, or very similar incentives are there. And so um, right now, fees are low. And so there's a, there's a constant competitive fee market that exists on the Lightning Network. And everybody's trying to undercut each other, develop unique strategies, and figure out ways to create value for the network and then get, get paid for it. But right now, that's very difficult. Um, so, you know, Bosworth was one of the, Alex Bosworth, uh, an incredible engineer. He he was one of the earlier, uh, the earliest Lightning, you know, adopters. And he has a whole, you know, ton of liquidity, um, a lot of expertise in running a successful Lightning node. But uh, I'm, I, you know, I consider myself lucky if I make like 
a couple bucks in a month on my Lightning Node. There are other people who manage it constantly and they're making you know, dozens of dollars each month, but no one is making massive amounts of liquidity. I believe like what will happen in the future is probably as on-chain fees go up, the Lightning Node will, will become more competitive. And then each node will be able to charge, I believe, higher routing fees. And that's when you, there's the potential to make more um, in, in, uh, in routing fees. But certainly right now, nobody should be expecting to make uh, you know, thousands of dollars. Can I go back a step? Can I ask you something about Moon Wallet? Because you mentioned that earlier. Um, so I haven't used Moon Wallet, but somebody told me with Moon Wallet whether it, the, the wallet doesn't uh, identify whether you're using Lightning or the base chain. It obfuscates that for you as a user. Like, I can't get my head around that. Like, what the fuck's going on there? Yeah, it kind of combines your on and off-chain balance together into one balance, which I think is nice to abstract away some of those technical details for folks who may not know the difference between Lightning and Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain. Now, for someone like me who's more technically advanced, this confused the hell out of me because I didn't understand what was happening under the hood Mm. until I kind of delved into some of their old Twitter threads and found that the way that they're facilitating lightning transfers is using under the hood submarine swaps. So I talked to you actually earlier today, Peter, about what submarine swaps are, their mechanism for switching from on and off chain. So they're doing some kind of interesting chicanery sort of under the hood. Um, but again, you have one balance, and that is simply your Bitcoin balance. It does not separate Bitcoin and Lightning. So if you want to send with Moon Wallet, can you put in a Lightning or a you know, base chain address and it will, it will know what to do? Totally. Because the, the thing I'm thinking about that is like long term, it's kind of like an ideal scenario that every wallet would do that. Yep. And you would just have one single address type and nobody mm-hmm. would know the difference and, and it would just make the decisions for you. Oh, yeah. A lot of these technical things are going to be abstracted away for users. Keep in mind, we're so early. We're kind of in like the dial-up modem stage of Bitcoin in terms of the user experience. Now, the technology, the protocols are rock solid and very secure. But the user experience has some catching up to do. And I think things like what MoonWallet is doing, which is abstracting away some of those technical details, is definitely the future that we're going to see of Bitcoin to bring about mass adoption. And so if I was... If I was using, say, Moon Wallet and I had, you know, if I sent a bunch of Bitcoin there, um, and say I sent a bunch of like sats from my Lightning wallet, say from my Blue wallet, uh, if I then with, try to withdraw that to a base chain wallet, does that essentially do my, is that a different type of ghetto submarine swap that it just does it for me? Exactly. And I like that you're using my language of ghetto submarine swap. So you can definitely ghetto submarine swap your Lightning sats in Blue wallet via moon. Good. Well, I live in Bedford, which is pretty ghetto. So. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, I, I, think, I think that is a really important point, which is that D++ made, which is Bitcoin is focused, like just laser focused on being sound money. Like that is mm-hmm. the purpose of Bitcoin. Security, sound money, decentralization, censorship resistant. Censorship resistance. And Fixed monetary policy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And these other protocols that people love to throw around that basically are affinity scamming Bitcoin, they are designed to to do very, very different things. And they can do those things to varying degrees, but they're not Bitcoin. When we talk about something like, you know, Solana, which is in the news these days, I'm sure it'll be gone in 
six months or a year, just like everything else that falls by the wayside. But like, they basically were like, what if we didn't have that? What if instead we made everything worse in the sense, in the things that we care about? And they were like, and to be fair, it means that you can, you know, make these transactions at uh, at lower cost and you can do all this crazy shit that uh, means that you can get hacked more easily. But uh, and all it all it costs is a two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollar you know data center to run a single node. You know if you're willing to centralize your shit that much, uh, then you know Godspeed. But Bitcoin is designed to be this thing that anyone can run a node with you know hundred dollars or less of hardware, and the Lightning Network builds on top of that. So it's a totally different thing. And let, let me ask this, Pete. There was a, there was a lot oh, real quick. There was a lot of talk like early on about you know, um, and I think this was to combat a lot of the the fud in 2017 with the fee market. And I think if you look at the fee market in 17 and the fee market now, like it seems clear to me that we were under attack in 17, and a lot mm-hmm. of those transactions were were spam basically um, by the Bcash crowd. You know, like Roger will stop it. No, like you know he speculative attack Bitcoin yada yada. So like I'm going to take that as an assumption that's true. Um, I think when you look at it, when you look at it now, as it, like where we're at now, there, I'm starting to feel the fud coming around fees, and like you know, there's going to be like essentially this crowd that's like the fee market's not going to develop, and we need to do an inflationary hard fork to Bitcoin and yada yada yada, right? And I think like Lightning is part of that narrative, but also there was this thing about Lightning in the beginning that Lightning was supposed to be like a consumer thing, and to me it seems more like it's going to be like a like an enterprise level you know, layer. I don't know, like, where do you think, like, things are headed? And, like, how could that, like, FUD war play out with the fee market and, like, Lightning's going to eat all the fees and all that kind of bullshit that you're now, like, starting to hear from people? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, I am personally not worried about it at all. I think that, you know, right now, a lot of major exchanges use Lightning because it's, it's incredibly effective for again, transmitting this value security or securely and with finality uh, very rapidly. So, you know, exchanges that use Lightning have these massive, you know, five Bitcoin channels. They have multiple channels that they're just blasting value, you know, back and forth with. And uh, that works great for them. But on-chain transactions are useful when one is... uh, is you know doesn't want to have to be online in order to receive payments and when one wants the maximum security that is available and so i think there will always be a place for both types of transactions and i think that uh that there are there are many systems and services that require being able to interact with or write to or read from uh the the bitcoin blockchain specifically so i i don't I don't see it being an issue. I think that there are going to be more and more systems that build on top of the Lightning Network in the same way that the internet was built on top of TCP/IP. And uh, you know, I, like I'm a software engineer, I barely know what the fuck TCP/IP is. You know, I don't need to. Everything that I interact with when I'm building software is at a much higher level. And I think that as we go forward, and we're already starting to see this, these services like. Uh, you know, Sphinx Chat and Zion, all these other systems that, and Breeze, right, but podcasting 2.0 that that empower people to use these, these kind of novel and really interesting ways of interacting with the Lightning Network, but you don't even necessarily have to know that you are. So I think there will always be a place for that, and there will always be a place for on-chain Bitcoin transactions. Yeah, Steve, and Hoddle, can we I talk a little bit more about really good, oh, oh, I was going to say, Hoddle brings up a really good point when it comes to fee FUD, 
it's like, which one is it, HODL? The fee FUD sometimes is the fees are too high, and the fee FUD sometimes is that they're too low, right? So it's like, pick one. But um, in terms of the FUD that the fees are going to be too low, um, there's actually a paradox in economics called Jevons' paradox, and this describes the technological progress by which something becomes more efficient. And this efficiency actually drives the consumption of that resource. So in other words, just because we are making fees more efficient by taking them off chain, it means that there's more incentive to do the on-chain transactions to open and close those lightning channels. So what this means is we're not going to see fees just go away. Um, We're going to see them continue to increase as people use lightning. You could do that meme hodl. You could do that, you know, that guy with the two buttons. Fees That's are too what high. I was thinking. There's not enough fees. Well, yeah, the, yeah, no, I think I think D's point is correct. I mean, you know, the fee market is dynamic and it's meant to be dynamic. And so, mm. you know, it depends on where, where you sit and how you look at it. And yeah, I'm sure we're, you know, like we're people, the ETH guys are going to be like, well, you guys were just talking shit about the gas fees. What the fuck, man? Like that just proves that Ethereum is working, you know? Like look how many people want to use Ethereum, right? And it's like, yeah, but bro, all that volume is fucking fake. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I mean, I've just had it. Uh, th- the problem I've got is the fucking confusion around it. Like, so I've been, like, say, ragging on these people on Twitter about uh, what happened with the Dow. And then some dude said to me, he was like, uh, what did he say to me? He was like, uh, uh, but Bitcoin's like, Bitcoin still takes like 10 minutes. And I was like, you know, no, not, not, not if you use the Lightning Network. Let's see what this fucker says. Okay, so I put Bitcoin doesn't take 10 minutes on Lightning, it's faster and cheaper than ETH. And then I go to all these replies. Try comparing Lightning to ETH L2, both Lightning and Arbitrum. Optimism are L2s, and you know I should, uh, you should fairly make your comparison. And I'm like, they're all, the problem I have with these L2s, and then somebody's talking about Polygon as well, it just seems like there's so many different L2 options in Ethereum. I'm just like confused beyond belief. I think for a lot of people, Bitcoin to Lightning is actually a massive leap. Like, just alone, that's a massive leap. Uh, you know, we all take it for granted uh, because we've been in Bitcoin for a while, but that's still a big leap. to When you're explaining Bitcoin to somebody for the first time and then you explain Lightning, it's, it is a big leap. And then if you look at all these Ethereum sidechains and L2s and bullshit, I just, like, I'm lost. I'm lost even yeah. knowing where to start. It's super confusing. And, I, and one thing that I will say is that as you, you, know, you talk about a lot on, on your show, on this show, is that Bitcoin moves slowly or more slowly than some people feel is reasonable because it is, we are all incredibly laser focused on making sure that we're doing it right. And things like Ethereum and all the other bullshit, they are not focused on doing it right. They're focused on getting VC money and creating systems that allow the you know, founders of those tokens to extract Bitcoin from people and put it into their own wallets. And that's really what their their goal is. That's, I'm painting with a broad brush, you know. No, like, but it's a fair it's a fair shout. It's a little bit like I was listening to the Bitcoin Standard for like the fifth time today, driving back from London, and one of the one of the chapters where he's talking about how you know the governments uh, wanted you know wanted to hold gold and they stole the gold and they made it illegal to hold gold. They wanted you to have the fiat currency, but they wanted your gold and they kept the gold in the central banks. It's a little bit like these shit coins. They want you to use their shit coins, but they want to extract the Bitcoin from it. Like the uh, was it Block One with EOS 
and they raised like four yeah. billion, and they've got like over a hundred thousand Bitcoin now. Like it's exactly the same. It's the exact same play as the banks. They want you to use their shit fiat, and they want to hold the gold. Yeah, yeah. It's like I mean, this this year has been like everyone is shitcoin is trading shitcoins, like fucking everyone. So like you know, some of the uh, more vitriolic maximalist rhetoric that works for me in the bear market has not been working this year. So I've defaulted to being like, listen, you're already trading shitcoins. You need to understand the game. Here's the game. This is what smart traders know that you don't know because you're confused. The game is essentially to get your Bitcoin uh, and move it into their pocket. And they're, you know, if uh, like they don't believe the marketing narratives that they're selling you, but if you believe that Solana is the future or whatever, you're going to be the one who ends up holding the bag to zero. You become their exit liquidity, right? And so that's the, it's a game of hot potato. And you need to understand that information asymmetry that's going on. And people go like this, they go, uh huh, uh huh. Uh-huh. So Solana's the future, and you're like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's but the Huddle, problem that's... this year, Hoddle. Like, I was going to say, D, that was the problem this year, because like in 2017, uh, one of the things was is that Bitcoin was people's kind of like gateway drug to all of this. And even if they were trading shitcoins, they were usually trading it with Bitcoin. And the majority of the exchanges were, were, were the unit of account was Bitcoin. But we've leapfrogged that now. We've got a lot of exchanges out there that are ETH unit of account. You don't even need Bitcoin. So I think this year, people have just skipped Bitcoin. They've gone straight to shitcoins. Yeah, I was going to say, Hoddle, that's a really great point that the shitcoins have a very clever consensus algorithm, if you will. And their consensus mechanism is proof of transfer, right? Transfer yeah, of your Bitcoin true. to them. Ooh. Yeah. And it's and it's also like, you know, Bitcoin's like P was alluding to, Bitcoin's engineering culture is like equivalent to, I don't know, something like NASA, where it's like, if we fuck up one piece of this thing, the whole fucking shuttle is gonna explode and we're gonna kill everybody on board, right? Whereas shitcoin culture is like move no, fast you, and break break. Things, did you say you know? did you say Bitcoin is like NASA or did you say Ethereum is like NASA? Bitcoin's engineering culture is like is like NASA. I think you said, like a, high, I think you said Ethereum. I don't think I did, did I? No, I think did I mishear that? I think you misheard. Like, sorry, I apologize. What the fuck? But yeah, that's the point is Bitcoin's engineering culture, uh, you know, it, it's about security. It's about thinking yeah. adversarially. It's it's about planning for things that could go wrong. Whereas Ethereum's culture is like, I don't know. Why don't we just do all the shit that Bitcoin didn't do that they decided wouldn't work and we'll take their garbage pile of discarded ideas and we'll combine it to be Eritreums and we'll sell them <laughs> to peoples and then the peoples will give us their Bitcoins. That's... That's, that's how shit coins work. That's you know? a direct <laughs> quote, by the way, from Vitalik. <laughs> yeah, I think Vitalik said that once on stage. Yeah. yeah, and I think like one thing for me is like I think people should be able to do whatever they want with their money, right? Like if you want to, if people want to like fuck around and like you know take risks, like honestly, like a lot of people, myself included, invest in equities, you know, and it's like I like I am free to do that, and I think everybody should be. Lame. Like, there you go. I mean, P's got I a Solana back. P's got a Solana oh, back. Fuck, fuck that Shit's noise. weak. Fuck that noise. No, no, but what I'm saying is like people can should do whatever they want. They just, but it's, it's, I have this like, they have to understand what they're actually doing. They have to understand that like if they're buying some dumbass like, uh, you know, uh, shitcoin that like the other people involved, they got it at a fucking pre mine or they got it at an insanely discounted price and it is not a fair market and you are going to get fucked. That's just the reality. And it's like if people want to play that game, people love going to the casino. Like, you know, we kind of like when you go to the casino and you lose money, people are like, oh, it's too bad. That's what we're dealing with. The VCs who were in on Solana were in on Solana at four cents before it was available to the public. You know what I mean? So that's the game you're playing. It's totally rigged. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Exodus Wallet. 
who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as you know, UX is super important to me. So when the Exodus team reached out to me, I spent some time playing with the app and you know what, they crushed it. The experience is amazing, which is why I'm happy to recommend it to you, my friends and my family. Now the Exodus desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Next up, it's Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now listen, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps and phishing attacks, there are just too many ways for you to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Because with Casa's multi-sig wallet, you can take custody of Bitcoin, but only move by signing transactions from multiple wallets. Ones that you get to distribute into different locations, which is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more, you can reach out to me over email or drop me a DM on Twitter. I've been a customer for over a year and I'm happy to answer any of your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, next up, we have sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now the football season started, it's been a strange start to the season. Tottenham started well, but obviously they fell apart. Typical Tottenham stuff, and Liverpool are crushing it, but it's a bit tied up there. Other teams are doing very well. Now listen, with Sportsbet, you've got everything covered. Not only do they cover football, but they support tennis, motorsports, US sports, they even have esports. And for new customers, there is always a range of promotions available. If you want to find out more, then please head over to sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S. BET.io. I want your view on this, uh, Hoddle, because this is the thing that's been pissing me off with the whole Chris Dixon, A16Z, Web3 thing they're yeah, talking about fuck, now. Where they've fuck, been, Chris, fuck Chris Dixon. So they've essentially fuck co-opted Web Web3 narrative to say mm-hmm. it's all about tokens. Everything's been decentralized and everything will be based on a token. Now, I worked in, I, I had an agency during like transition from Web1 to Web2 and Really, with Web 2, you realize what it was after it happened. It kind of like, oh shit, the, the internet's changed. It's like the semantic, like it's, it's, I can't remember what it was. It was all, it was more like the interactive pages you had. So if you did a search, it would come down with a bar, like suggested items, like things like that started to change. But they're trying to define Web 3 about what they want to invest money in. And this kind of like internet of tokens as a Web 3 narrative is fucking bullshit. And it's, they're trying to actually like direct the internet in the internet in a way that they want to invest in. But it's fucking bullshit. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think like uh, there's there's some things there that are true, right? Like um, decentralization Decent- is yeah, that's it. Yeah, de- decentralization is probably the point of Web three because we've all seen, you know, when we have these centralized oligarchies that, like, for instance, our free speech gets taken away, and that's not a good thing, and people would like to see that revert, right? But uh, the, the idea that everything's going to have a token is fucking stupid. It's always been fucking stupid. Why the fuck would you invest in utility tokens? They're not investable. Uh, listen, I'm definitely going to take my daughter to Chuck E. Cheese in a few weeks, and we're going to have a lot of fun, buy $60 worth of tokens. But I'm not going to put my fucking net worth in Chuck E. Cheese tokens because they have quote-unquote utility at Chuck E. Cheese. Why, why would anyone do that? People don't store their net worth in airline miles. People don't store their net worth in any kind of rewards points. It's a stupid fucking idea. They will not maintain liquidity. Like, ah, 
Chris Dixon and Balaji and all the guys from A16Z have just fully lost the plot because they have fucking insider access. They are the guys who were getting Solana at four cents and it's corrupted their brains. And now they want to tell you that this is a real thing when they know it's fucking not. And, you know, it's like the phrase they used to use short time to liquidity. Like they are looking to dump this on retail investors as fast as fucking possible and then scoop the money back in for themselves and likely put it into, into Bitcoin, right? Or maybe Ethereum if they still believe in Ethereum. But like, it's it's just insider bullshit. It's mm-hmm. can it's Cantillion it's Cantillion bullshit. Like that's what it is, and it's fucking annoying because people still give these people authority and credibility and credentials, and like they don't deserve any of that. They're wrong. They've been wrong. Fuck them. Yeah. Well, they think they're right. Uh, D, can we talk a little bit more about nodes? I want to go back to that. So, one of the things we always say to new Bitcoiners is like, hold your private keys and then run a node. We try and take them on that journey. Like, learn about Bitcoin, you know, buy some Bitcoin, you know, maybe get a hardware wallet. Uh, you know, back up your private keys, understand what they are, and then like usually after that, it's like run a node. And uh, people people kind of drop off at different points. Some people will just go on. Coinbase or Gemini and they'll buy their Bitcoin and leave it there. Some people will get themselves maybe a ledger or a cold card and move to that. And then some people will go as far as a node. But we lose people all the way. But that node thing is a super important thing. Is is it as important to run a Lightning node as it is to run a base chain node? Or is like is it not? Totally. So it's different use cases. So the reason why folks would run a Bitcoin node is to have self-sovereignty over their transactions and be able to fully validate their own transactions and verify that what they are sending is in fact Bitcoin. And they're not having to trust anyone else to tell them that what they're doing is in fact Bitcoin. Now, if Bitcoin were under attack, it would be important for us to run our own nodes to help enforce the rules of Bitcoin. It becomes even more important in kind of an adversarial situation. And there's other reasons to run a node as well. If you can run a node over Tor, you can have greater privacy and you can prevent folks from knowing things about the transactions that you're interested in. You can prevent people from knowing things such as your XPubs, which are important for maintaining your privacy. Now, running a Lightning well, node is What's something- an XPub? <laughs> an XPub is an extended public key. And by the way, Peter, I did an entire workshop on XPubs. Um, at TabConf, and it was I, I still extraordinarily, don't get it was extraordinarily deep. So an XPub is a public key from which you can derive child keys. So you know how we have different, um, we have different receive addresses whenever we receive Bitcoin mm-hmm. to help maintain privacy. Um, the XPub is the key that unlocks all of those baby receive addresses. It's like the dad. So anyway, the reason why we would run a lightning node is to be able to route transactions on this Lightning Mesh network. Now, if you're running a Lightning node by default, you are also running a Bitcoin node. You have to have a Bitcoin node as well. With Lightning, you keep this thing on 24-7 because you are supporting the Lightning network, again, by routing people's payments on their behalf. And the first time you wake up and you see that your node routed someone else's Lightning payment on their behalf, the feeling is indescribable. It's like a kid waking up and seeing that Santa Claus left presents under the Christmas tree. It is just the most magical feeling in the world. Now, that said, if you have a lightning node, you're going to keep it on all the time. It's important to have at least 99.9% uptime. You never want to take it offline. This is a hot wallet that you are using, again, to support the routing of Lightning payments. Now, if you're simply running a Bitcoin node to validate your own transactions, 
you don't have to keep it turned on all the time. You can turn it off at night. And whenever you want to use Bitcoin, you can simply just resync the blocks that came in while you were asleep. All right, listen, can we talk a little bit about scaling Bitcoin in a different way? I did an interview the other day with Anita Posh, and she was talking about uh, MiniMint uh, and the opportunity to use that out in different communities out in Africa. She spends a lot of time out there supporting different communities. Uh, at the time, I didn't have uh, didn't have any time to like dig into it and find out what it is. Can, can you explain what, what this is to me? Because it sounded cool. I think you're talking about federated chummy and mints, uh, yeah. which are a super interesting... Uh, direction that I think they're not speci- they don't have to be on lightning it's actually an existing concept but on lightning it gets really really interesting so uh, you basically it basically allows you to split trust over multiple parties um, and you then can basically and it uses what's called you know blind signatures which is a um, something that is kind of well established and understood in, in in cryptography so it creates a lot more privacy within the Lightning Network. And it it's kind of like, um, uh, there was an analogy that was given to me recently, which I really like, which is something, I'm going to butcher it, but it's something along the lines of, a blind signature is where you can put, uh, I'm not going try to try, try to do it, but basically it allows us to massively increase privacy by having a uh, federation of entities that you trust, which can be individuals in your community, and then they basically allow you to, uh, without understanding how much you're transmitting or who you are as an individual, you're able to transmit value through the network. And it kind of unlocks some really interesting uh, opportunities, specifically on Lightning. So what about the future of Lightning? What else is coming? What should we be aware of? Well, one thing that I think is interesting is the question of like, yeah, where do we go with Lightning adoption? Mm. And the, and the, the sort of uh, different ends of the spectrum, you can have like, Community-based lightning networks, right? So one of the things with PlebNet is we we all kind of got together. We created this uh, this this giant crazy spider web of connections, and then we plugged into the larger network and be, you know added all this liquidity in, right? Which then benefits everybody because again you're bouncing payments all the way through the network, uh, you know, to uh, to get your payments to wherever they need to go. Um, I I think that that is a really compelling aspect of. The Lightning Network. I can imagine uh, small, you know, uh, communities that are that are digital, like PlebNet, or communities that are physical, uh, you know, towns, uh, you know, districts, areas that are building out these communities. But we also have like entire countries, like El Salvador, adopting Lightning and using the Lightning Network as a uh, as a way to transmit value. And so I think that there will be both things happening. That is to say, I think there will be uh, additional communities that get together who already trust each other. They spin up their nodes. They're using the Lightning Network to basically send value back and forth rapidly. And then also you have businesses that are that are aping into the Lightning Network because it does provide this profound value. And even nation states, as we're seeing in El Salvador. And so I think that, uh, honestly, I think there will continue to be both. And I think as more you, and more... If you build like a Bitcoin city... As part of that, you could be planning the nodes that exist within each property. And once that city comes online, that whole city can plug into the Lightning Network and create this whole additional amount of liquidity. Yeah, and people can join that network running their own node. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I don't think everyone really fully realizes how solid the Lightning Network is. Because if it weren't for Lightning, we wouldn't have Bitcoin as legal tender in El Salvador. Lightning is what makes that possible. So Lightning is rock solid. It's not some kind of 
vaporware, some kind of promise of some technology that may or may not come to fruition. It works today. So what I'm excited about mostly is simply onboarding new people and showing them this technology that already exists as it exists today. Now, will it continue to evolve and grow? Yes, of course. The next soft fork that I'm expecting to see after Taproot is likely going to be, in my opinion, probably SIGHASH and EPREV out. And this will allow the ability to make additional improvements to the Lightning Network, such as L2, which will improve some Lightning Channel capabilities. But again, even if Bitcoin were to ossify today, this technology is rock solid. And so aside from any upgrades, what I am most excited about is simply just onboarding folks, showing them this magical technology that exists onboarding them to PlebNet and getting them to use Lightning for the first time and, quite frankly, just blowing their minds. Dee, what, what do you think of the progress that's been made in El Salvador? Well, I have extraordinarily FOMO because I have not been. And I'm really sad. Do you guys want to plan a trip? Can we can we go back? Take me back. I'll go anytime. I'll happily go. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. But I think it's absolutely extraordinary. So a lot of us thought that this cycle in Bitcoin's history was going to be sort of the cycle of institutional adoption. And we did see some, you know, really, really big institutions such as Tesla and MicroStrategy put Bitcoin on their balance sheet. But we took kind of a quantum leap from institutions to countries when we saw El Salvador adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. And I don't think any of us were anticipating that. And I mean, how many of you guys cried at Bitcoin Miami 2021 when Jock Maulers was telling us about El Salvador? Was there a dry a dry eye in the audience? I I, I think not. Um, and and Jack Maulers, you know, made made crying cool again, <laughs> which I think is is really beautiful, right? It's 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 so human, and it's just so overwhelming to see the power that is Bitcoin. So it's going to be really really fun to see the nation states that continue to adopt Bitcoin after El Salvador and watch this game theory really play out, whereby they start competing to attract us, the Bitcoiners. And we saw just the beginning of this with the announcement of the Bitcoin city in El Salvador. And by the way, I, for one, am like fully ready to move there. And P, we've got, uh, we got the president coming to uh, Bitcoin 2022. The announcement's Hell out. Yeah. We, can talk, we can talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm super excited about that. I think, you know, to, to, to answer your question, I think, you know, there's experiences that people have had with the Chivo wallet. There's some, you know, there's some issues there, some, some challenges. And the, from what I understand, some of those things are, are totally valid. They're, they're, they're things that need to be fixed there. But um, we're, we're getting there. And I think that there needs to be more education in El Salvador around exactly what the Lightning Network is, what Bitcoin is, how to use it. Um, but to see an entire country adopting Bitcoin is it's one of the most exciting things that's, that I can remember happening in, in, in recent years. Uh, and certainly, of course, related to Bitcoin. And as we, I am personally extremely excited. You know, I uh, was able to, you know, book uh, President Bukele and there are other heads of state that, you know, we're in conversation with. And it just creates this, as we all know, this incredible uh, incentive for other very large entities to ape in, right? Because if you, you know, as you start to see the the power that this brings to El Salvador and the people of El Salvador, um, 
other world leaders are like, oh, fuck. Like we, they don't even have to know exactly what's going on. They're just like, I have to, I have to, I have to be part of this. I have to, yeah. the risk is too great to not jumping in. And that's the thing that is so compelling or this is so exciting to me about, um, about what's going on in El Salvador. And we're, this is only the beginning. We're going to see more and more people jump in and start uh, putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet as nation states and then uh, supporting the Lightning Network. And in but, terms of the, oh, go ahead. So it's what I was going to throw in there. It's like one of the things that makes me happy about maybe not having this crazy end to the cycle, and uh, is that I think it's it's going to be it's going to be counterproductive to wanting to onboard more countries because you know you see the run up, you see the drop down, you see all the bad press that goes with it. But if we just had this just like gradual steady increase in Bitcoin, you know maybe we go up twenty percent in a month and down ten. Like if we can keep within that kind of range, I think it makes it easier to onboard other countries and. You know, one country is great, but it's an outlier. Two is a movement, and we need that second country. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. Bedford. Bedf- Bedford's not a country. It should be. No, it could be. Th- it could be the first Bitcoin country. Well, it's the, uh, it's the Bitcoin capital of the world. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, you sound kind of like Bitcoin Tina a little bit with this thesis of kind of a stair step super cycle where we just kind of go up forever, Laura, and you know that could happen. Or we could see another. I think it's more healthy. Eighty-five. Yeah, of course, we could see another eighty-five percent blow-off top. It's impossible to say. But P, you know, with all due respect, I'm very impressed that you're going to have the president of El Salvador at Bitcoin Magazine Conference 2022. But I think I'm just mostly excited for the beach parties and the dance parties. And Peter, you threw a pretty epic dance party this year. I hope you do it yeah, again I can't. next year. I yeah I'll throw a party I can't I won't dance I can't dance I'll see if I can get the president to come <laughs> yeah that would be interesting for sure for sure um, but uh, yeah I won't be dancing because of my back uh, I would just stand at the side and just watch it I mean you you mentioned the, the conference and I think it's one thing that that I have been thinking about a lot lately because you know I'm I am responsible for building out all the programming and and, and the strategy around that and. You know, there will always be speakers. I'm not talking about uh, President Bukele, but there are other speakers that we've announced recently that people have been like, oh, why is this person speaking? Like, you know, like, what the hell? And the reality is, I want to create conversations between people. Everybody, obviously, everybody that's at the conference is interacting with and supporting Bitcoin. But mm-hmm. it's it's not as valuable to basically have conversations where everybody is just high-fiving and slapping each other on the back and like, yeah, Bitcoin is great. Mm-hmm. Like, we're fucking Bitcoiners. High-five, uh, end of story. I, we rule. <laughs> I want to have conversations between people who are, who are supporting Bitcoin, working on Bitcoin, driving Bitcoin forward, but actually disagree on really important pieces of what that means. And it's only through those 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 dialogues, those active conversations where people are respectfully uh, fighting that, that we can further the, the important topics. And most importantly, we can, you know, we can selfishly educate ourselves, right? Because everybody's an expert in a specific area of Bitcoin. And, but we can also help to educate the average person, right? Because the people that are coming to, to Bitcoin 2022, it's a huge broad spectrum of people. It's people like all of us on this call who are deeply in Bitcoin, uh, understand certain aspects of it and contribute to the, the, uh, the ecosystem in different ways. And there's also people who are literally like, what is a Bitcoin? And for everyone on either side of that spectrum or anywhere on that spectrum, 
observing people who are extremely intelligent having disagreements about the nuances of these topics is one of the most effective ways that we can all learn. And, you know, I, I'm just really focused on that and, and, and creating those, uh, exciting, hilarious, important, engaging fights on stage. Well, listen, it's going to be a huge event. It might be the biggest one ever. Yes. It might be that Bitcoin goes boring after this. Yeah, it is. It's going to be the largest Bitcoin event, uh, in history. There are, uh, the largest stage last year was a, it was four thousand people. Uh, there are there are five stages this year. There's the uh, the main stage, which is fifteen thousand people. There is uh, the Genesis stage, which is ten thousand people. There's an entire stage on uh, mining. There's an entire stage on open on the open source community. Which, if you just separated that out on its own, it would be the largest open source conference in history. It's a 2,000 person stage. There's going to be an institutional finance stage. It's going to be absolutely incredible. There's going to be uh, electricity, uh, fireballs, everything. It's going to be like Bitcoin Disneyland. Amazing. I can't fucking wait. All right. Well, listen, we've got a lot today. Anything we've not covered, Hodl, that you want to cover? Uh, no, not, no, not really. D, anything else you want to say before we exit? I feel like we did it. We did it. We crushed it. You know, I'm going back to uh, I'm going back to doing my most of my interviews in person now. So, trying to get to like 95 percent in person. So, what we should do is we'll all be in Miami for a week. We should try and do one where we're all together. I'll have my whole team there, camera crew, equipment. We should try and do one together. Absolutely, I think that'll be awesome. Let's like, do it. I don't like these remote ones. Yeah, I'm in. Well, listen, it's great to have you on, D. Look, uh, tell everyone how to follow you, how to find you. Yeah, totally. So you can find me on Twitter, D plus plus. Dplusplus.me is my URL, dplusplus on Instagram. And most importantly, be sure to join Plebnet at plebnet.org. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. And P, how do people find you? Yeah, um, my incredibly robust OPSEC. Um, no one knows that my real name is, uh, is Philip which is also my, uh, my Twitter handle. But uh, you just replace the J's or the I's with J's. So it's uh, on Twitter. P-H-J-L-L-J-P. All right, well, we'll put it on the show notes. Uh, Hoddle, go fuck yourself. Give me a mm. Bitcoin. Looking forward to it, man. Mm. Listen, mm. Uh, the parabola is coming, bro, okay? Uh, December's <laughs> going to be lit. I'm not going to be sending any fucking Bitcoin to Bedford. God, no. You are. The parabola's coming. Bedford FC. And we're going, what do I only, what do I need? I just need a 5X. I need a 5X in one month, baby. Bitcoin can do that. 100%. I've seen Bitcoin do miracles, okay? That's yeah. like standard operating procedure for Bitcoin. Not a lot of people know this, yeah. but I actually had lupus before Bitcoin, and I rubbed mm-hmm. Bitcoin all over my body uh, once a day, and uh, it cured my lupus. It'll cure yours, too. Yeah. Well, you mm-hmm. know, in 2017, Hoddle, we saw that 5X from November to December. So See? I wouldn't be surprised. See? I wouldn't be surprised. What's up, Pete? What's <laughs> up? Dude. I'll take, I'll take 288. 288 was the target I was happy with. Now, we're going anyway, three, I'm going to take your Bitcoin. 300. 300. I'm taking, I'm taking your Bitcoin. I'm buying Bedford FC, and I'm going to thank you for it, man. I know. It's very sad. Anyway, listen. Love you all. Thank you all for coming on. I will uh, see you all soon. I don't know where I'll bump into you next. D, I keep bumping into you everywhere, so I'm sure I'll see you soon. Otherwise, I will see you all in Miami. Thanks for coming on. Peace out. Good luck with Plebnet. Adios. Peace out. Okay, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, 
you want to reach out to me, the best thing to do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. And if you want to support the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Okay, see you all very, very soon.